1: What do you want when you gotta eat something? And it's gotta be sweet, and it's gotta be a lot, and you gotta have it now. What do you want? lip snack, and whip, back and patty, whack, and ink, and knack, and go, whack, and yellow, whack, and jack, and
2: boo, clapper jack. A lot of people don't know this, but the uh, very young. Ted Cruz sang on that commercial. Uh, All right. So we're talking about snacks today. And I have to begin with a personal reminiscence. So in the late 1980s, there was... (laughs) I can't even talk about it. I don't think. There was a snack called Zeus Chips. And it was sold in a big, bright uh, purple bag, neon purple bag. And it was sort of bow-tied pasta with a kind of nacho cheese flavoring. And it was invented by Annie Withy, who also invented Annie's macaroni and cheese and smart food. Uh, And it was really, really good. And there was a bar in Hartford called Shenanigans. And if you sat at the bar, Shenanigans, it was there in bowls. They almost needed somebody at the bar whose only job it was to replenish the Zeus chip bowls because you (laughs) you just eat all of them. Um, They were just so, so good. And then they disappeared. And so in 1993... I happened to be uh, sitting in Annie Withy's house uh, interviewing her about the whole thing of being Annie Withy and starting all these famous food brands. But really, the only thing I wanted to talk about was Zeus chips, <laughs> this kind of lost civilization where like, I think if Zeus chips had not vanished, I would be 20 pounds heavier than I am right now and I'm already trying to lose weight. Um, but I think the world would be a better place, people would be kind of be happier. Anyway, it turned out she was incredibly nostalgic for Zeus Chips too, and her ex-husband, uh, with whom she was on good terms and who was were operating, they were, they were kind of still operating their business together. He he loved everybody loved them, but there were all kinds of corporate problems, and apparently Prince Spaghetti was making the, the bow tie pasta, and then they got mad about something, and oh no, Borden took over, and they didn't care about the I don't know. It was all this corporate stuff. That's why we don't have Zeus Chips, and 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 I've discovered they're like message boards. <laughs> message boards on the internet in which I've sort of even kind of participated where people talk about Zeus chips. Like I say, it's a lost civilization, but a snack can mean so much to you. I think that's sort of true. So joining us, we're going to do all kinds of things today. Towards the end, uh, Chris Prosperia, Julia Pastel are going to join me virtually, and we're going to sample some new snacks. I'm surrounded by ominous-looking snacks right now. But uh, for starters, uh, let's talk to uh, Andrea Hernandez, founder of Snacks Shot, an online community of people talking about snacks, uh, and so much more. Uh, Andrea, welcome to our show.
3: Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
2: So I'd like you to maybe expand a little bit on what I was in my own fumbling way trying to say, which is there is a sense, and I sense this in your work, and I've listened to you talk on uh, your podcast about snack boys and things like that. There's a way in which a snack is more than just a snack, right? A snack is, for, for all of us, it's it's satisfying at a kind of gustatory level, but also at some kind of psychological level and, and all kinds of associations we have. I, I don't know, Maybe do you have like sort of a grand unified snack theory?
3: Yeah, a hundred percent. Millennials and the day there's data to back this up. Uh, we're no longer, uh, you know, eating three meals at the table that's become sort of obsolete uh, for millennials and the generations that come after. So, Uh, It used to be that your parents would tell you don't snack because you'll ruin the the meal. And now it's like, you know, jokes on you. The snack has become the entire meal. So I think my theory is that uh, snacks have had a redemption arc, uh, whereas it used to have sort of like a negative connotation to it. It's now, you know, have some sort of revival. And I like to say, you know, snack is back.
2: Yeah. Although, if a snack is going to be, if if in fact we're going to have generations of people who kind of eat standing up or eat, you know, kind of on the go, and 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 therefore we then a snack theoretically may have to be a little bit more functional, functional and less pleasurable, right? It's going to need to have, you know, pea powder in it for protein or something, or, or maybe it doesn't. You, you're the expert.
3: I would say so. I I think it's so funny. We have seen a rise in functional quote-unquote functional because honestly snacks in general food in general beverages in general they have the function of feeding you and hydrating you etc but for the past decade we've had what I call the better for you chasm where we're literally putting up like all these expectations on snacks and we kind of have lost indulgence for indulgence sake so like an example is a cookie dough that has functionality or adaptogens or prebiotic where it's like I get it but at the same time like i just want a cookie dough or a snack or a treat that tastes well it doesn't necessarily have to be as bad you know as uh, brands big food brands and stuff but you know like how about making an actual functional snack that you know cleans up after like i finished the you know making a mess in the kitchen so i think i think yes but at the same time we've kind of gone overboard um i made this latest issue uh on spiritual snack and the fact that function is going way beyond just like wellness now and there's literally spritz and beverages that the function listed on the can is spiritual upliftness (laughs) so i think (laughs) i think we're teetering to an extreme there
2: (laughs) i could have written a whole essay about zeus chips for that particular uh, edition so um so yeah i mean a couple of things there first of all I think you better explain the word adaptogens, because there are a lot of people here who are listening who eat snacks, but they, oddly enough, don't know what an adaptogen is.
3: <laughs> of course. So adaptogen are uh, herbs, um, plants, roots that help your body adapt to stressors. That's where it comes from, the word. And say, for example, an adaptogen is a specific type of mushroom. So Uh, you know, a lot of claims have been made that adding these two, which I remain very skeptical, you know, that diluting this in a seltzer is gonna, you know, make me, uh, you know, have tea with the Dalai Lama in some sort of cloud Zen moment. Uh, So I think I think it's become sort of like a new. It's the new, in my opinion, it's the new organic, right? I think that that there could be some validity around using this as like a supplement, etc. But you know, adding this to cookie dough, I don't know how much zen you're going to be feeling. I mean, cookie dough itself is already a treat. It already makes me feel happy. I don't know why it needs to have anything else
2: yeah, on it. <laughs> on your Substack, I actually did see um, a canned beverage called Immoral. Uh, you see what they did there. They did a morel mushroom joke. But this is a, a sparkling mushroom tea, which just sounds unbelievably gross among other things. But there is that sense that a, a lot of things now have mushrooms in implausible in ways or for the extra crunch quinoa, you know, quino, quinoa crisps, things that somebody maybe my age. I'm like a snack geezer as opposed to a snack boy. Um, I just don't associate those things with snacks.
3: Yeah. So by the way, a snack boy, uh, the definition of it is like a parody of, think of that person who spends too much at the beverage aisle of whatever trendy equivalent of Erewhon there is in the in the Northeast coast. But yeah, it's someone who spends too much time deciding between CBD and adaptogens or THC and tropics instead of, you know, maybe spending that money on therapy, because a lot of these <laughs> products are pretty expensive. Let me tell you, <laughs> $6 for a can of what is inherently
2: just sparkling water but you know but yeah it's the but it's the <laughs> vibe yeah and i do like your idea i don't want to rush past it uh i like the idea that you were sort of referencing uh, earlier of maybe some kind of snack that would have like nanobots in it that would clean up the kitchen like you know all the little sort of sprinkled cheese dust and stuff like that the little nanobot bots would come out of the <laughs> snack package and just sort of erase all traces of the snack crime you had committed <laughs>
3: Yeah, I feel like we should have, you know, imperatives that call you an Uber when, you know, the situation you get socially <laughs> offered. Like, talk about that kind of function.
2: <laughs> so there also, I think, are, and, and this, you know, you're way younger, so maybe this doesn't even pop out at you. One thing that I was noticing is there are also new kind of understood flavors, and sometimes they are based on actual food things. For example, it looks to me like if you have a snack product that has more than four iterations of it, the fifth one better be churro, right? Uh, the, the churro <laughs> is like uh, is everything's got to be yeah. churro. Yeah.
3: yeah, I would say a good uh, a good example of a, a recent brand that launched that did come up with like this like Mexican hot chocolate churro kind of flavor is uh, this brand called Foops, and to the point that I think we reached peak function. This brand actually launched with a label that says not healthy <laughs> in their in their packaging and i really love that i think the pendulum the pendulum is shrinking back but yeah to your point they have like uh salt and vinegar i think they have a cream like onion cream one and one of them is uh cheddar and then the other one is <laughs> the mexican chocolate churro one so does, you're 100 percent right on that <laughs> does that feel
2: like cultural appropriation i mean like suddenly every any schmuck can put out something called churro
3: would say yeah i think there is a lot to to, to say that there is m- there is many of these like uh flavors that are maybe not as uh i would say authentic because their founders aren't you know not from that specific uh group of of people that that that's where they like this ingredient heralds from um but i will say like you know, tepache is a good example of that. Tepache has become sort of like, quote unquote, the new kombucha. And I think it just goes back to the, the consumer to kind of just educate themselves. Like, is this someone that's like a legit Mexican founder? Because tepache is originary from Mexico. You know, I, but I do love that there are brands, uh, you know, you see like OmSam or Fly by Jing, that are actually like Asian American founders that are sort of claiming their own. See so like, okay, you know, if someone's going to commodify this, it might as well be us. And I really love to see to see that you're seeing it with Latin American founders and agua fresca, for example, as well. So, you know, I think yes and and no. <laughs>
2: and I think also if you don't keep up with this kind of stuff, I mean, for example, today I was looking at a product called Snacklins. Uh, and one of the flavors of snacklins is Chesapeake Bay flavor, and I'm not—I—I I was not familiar with that term, and I'm looking on the label. What is it? Does it taste like dirty salt water and dead crabs? What does Chesapeake Bay flavor <laughs> taste like? And it didn't say anywhere. It felt like that I would know that, and then I did some more looking, and it turns out Chesapeake Bay flavor is a thing, right? You're supposed to know what Chesapeake Bay flavor is.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, but I really love that kind of like spoofing. I think I think it's hilarious because it's like when you talk about what original flavor is, I think that's another, it's similar to that when people say like original flavor, okay, but what does that actually mean? You know, original to what? And, I, and I've seen memes like spun out of that. And I think I think it's, it's funny. I, I like that. And I, I'm a huge fan of snacklets, by the way. They taste really good.
2: Are they good? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm going down a very dangerous road. I really need to le- lose about 15 pounds and I'm doing this show and I got snacks sitting here and you're telling me about snacks and this is, I'm going to have to go... Straight to Betty Ford after this show, I think, um, and just kind of cool off here a little bit. So one of the things that you do is really look at the future, too. You you go to conferences and uh, you try to see what's coming. So... So, yeah, you're talking a little bit about this interesting trend where the whole idea that all snacks have to be healthy, that they have to have uh, seaweed and mushrooms and pea powder and quinoa in them might be uh, challenged a little bit by almost a nostalgia for bad snacks. It's like like the parents of millennials and Gen Zers won't give them the snacks that they, the parents, ate, the really crappy snacks. Um, So there's sort of that. But I'm also kind of wondering what you see – you know, a step or two down the road. What what kind of snacks will be we be eating in five or ten years?
3: Yeah, I think, one, first of all, I think you're 100% right on this. I think we are, as I'm, I'm a child of the 90s, I think millennial parents, are kind of overcorrecting from what they, you know, I guess the trauma of, of growing up on Lunchables and Gushers. And what you're seeing right now is like, to an extreme, I think, and this is why I believe the the pendulum is about to swing back. And I'm starting to see a lot more of the resurgence of, you know, we just want a, a better alternative. Uh, but, you know, peeking into the future, honestly, like one of the biggest things that I see is uh, how wearables are going to also affect how F and B trends are created. So I'll give you an example. There's this beverage called good idea that it's this ingredient that was created in a lab that apparently like, helps curve the sugar spikes after you have a meal. So that's like actual function that you can, you can see through a wearable, like the glucose monitor wearables that have become very popular, like whoops or levels. And so they're able to prove, like, look, when you drink this with your meal, you don't have like the it curves your your sugar spike, so it doesn't make that like slump feeling after. And you're also starting to see uh, that like, you know, as millennials age, uh, you know, geriatric millennials, etc. You're you've seen like how the how this like. Uh, Snacks are becoming sort of our aid or like going back to basics, like food as pharmacy concept. And I joke that prebiotic seltzers uh, like Olipop and Poppy, they have boomed because millennials just wanted something cooler than Metamucil, right? So I think that looking into the future uh how how do these uh, snacks sort of aid us as we age but also like the the correction that's happening where it's like okay you know like again overly promising on function isn't really like doing much right and why does cookie dough necessitate all these things like why can't we just indulge in a snack? You know, again, snacks were meant to be for indulgence. And so I think those two major things I would say, and it's, again, what I wrote about this week, which was the intersection of spirituality and snack. And as we untether from organized religions, how we're trying to full, like fill in those and ground, ground ourselves with uh, these $6 uh, seltzers that promise us spiritual uplifting and Palo Santo brews uh, made with organic quartz you know, meditating on the number seven and supposed to give us some sort of energetic protection and how, you know, (laughs) these snacks are coming in to fill voids of us sort of uh, undoing indoctrination into these, like, I guess like old structures, but yeah, it's it's pretty, it's a pretty interesting future.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I, the future, the present and the future also includes the increasing uh, legalization of cannabis derived or THC containing products. I'm guessing psilocybin isn't too far, Back down oh, the
3: yeah, line, hundred percent. So, I, I psychoactive snacks is already out there,
0: by
2: the way. <laughs> so I love psychoactive <laughs> snacks. Well, it used to be, you know, back in the day, people would smoke pot, they'd get high, and then they have to go to Seven Eleven and buy eight pounds of Doritos. And now it's sort of like the whole experience will be self-contained, right? You'll be you'll be eating the munchie that's going to make you high.
3: Yeah, literally THC. There's this co- the company called Tempo Crackers. Th- this is the dangerous thing because, like you want to eat the entire bag but you know like shit you just like put so much thc into your body you have no so this is one of the things that i warn about it's like by the way like to get control yourself that's like a, a whole different thing but psychedelic water for example that's literally what it's called it's a beverage that uses uh kava which kava is a psychoactive not a psychedelic so it's legally like like okay, uh, for it to be out there. There's another plant called Kana. That recently, there's a brand that launched Kana chews that are supposed to be these mood altering and that offer like MDMA-like effects. Um, and all of these are are what I call psychedelic adjacent. But but that's already there. It's happening. And I think as legalization spreads, hopefully you're going to start to see a lot more. Uh, just look at Canada, right? Like Canada's like cannabis THC psychedelic snack. Industry is thriving to the point that they're coming in and opening up a shop in the U.S. wherever it's legal. So right. no, actually, now a lot of
2: you can enter Canada and a lot of it, scientists say welcome to Canada. We are totally messed up. Um, so um, a last question. This is sort of gets into the kind of uh, behind the scenes of the show. Because later in the show, Andrea, and I'm so sorry we can't include you in this, although I think it wouldn't be particularly exciting for you given what your life is like, but we are going to sample a fusion of rich crackers with peanut butter and then Oreos. In other words, the company has fused together – Uh, a Ritz cracker, a layer of peanut butter, a layer of the white Oreo frosting, and then the Oreo cookie. But the thing is, it's like almost impossible to get it. We had to buy it on eBay, a very small quantity of these things for like 40 bucks. So you have a background in marketing. Why do they do that? Why Why are they putting out a product that I can't buy?
3: Okay, so one, just so you know, Oreo is known to put out like weird flavors just to make you one nostalgic for the original one. And two, one of the reasons they do this is more to create hype and sort of FOMO around it, but they're not going to go and alter their supply chain to really like make sure that this is available like everywhere, right? And and one of the things, there's a really great article on Eater that talks about why chip flavors in the US are so bland. And the reality is, if you think about these brands, they're like huge conglomerates. So in order for them to like really adjust something at that grand scale, like necessitates a lot of resources. And uh, that's not something that they're looking to be altering constantly. So they try to like go for, whenever they do these things, they do limited drops about like uh, around them most of them now are operating on sweepstakes kind of thing where it's like you don't even get to buy it in the store it's all sweepstakes like if you earn it whatever like Pepsi's syrup pepsi syrup uh, pepsi can for example and then it's, it's literally that it's like what what is it going to appeal to mainstream and there's a lot of data and stuff that they use to kind of try and justify whether this is worth you know really investing in or not so that's why you can't really find them
2: Oh, mystery mystery solved. All right. So I just want to say before we go to break here Later on, we are actually going to be eating Irish potato chips with sour cream and shamrock. And it says on the bag, contains real shamrock. So the, so there there's an interesting flavor for you. Andrea Hernandez, founder of Snack Shot. That's uh, snacks with an X. Uh, an online community of people talking about snacks. Uh, she's got a sub stack. She's got everything. So we'll take a little break. Then we're going to tell you a little bit about, I don't know, kind of the dark side of snacks. Fair enough? Uh, after this.
4: You know what I want, so give And you know, give us never enough, when I stepped in looking like a snack. the gout turned ready to attack. You know, why I want to give me doubts. You ever know, give us never lack. Stepped in looking like a snack. Big
1: boy, can you handle that? Take it down, 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 right? like a cat, I like steady, heard on the best chair, yeah, baby, that's a fact. I Attitude, tell, tell me what you want to do. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford Healthcare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford Healthcare.
2: so starting around 1960, I think, <laughs> the, the great actor Burt Lahr, who was before this known as the Cowardly Lion and the Wizard of Oz and lots of other things, he started doing these commercials for Lay's potato chips. And, and they went on and on for years and years and years. And he was always in different costumes. Although very tellingly, one of the commercials featured the regular Burt Lahr and then also Burt Lahr, but dressed up as the devil. And the devil was getting Burt Lahr to eat Lay's potato chips. But the tagline for all of these commercials was the same. It was, bet you can't eat just one. Which, in retrospect and in light of the conversation we're about to have, feels both like a marketing slogan and a confession because it turns out that these companies were engineering food exactly for that purpose so that you would not be able to eat just one. That's exactly what they wanted to have be the case. And they may have taken certain chemical shortcuts to get there. Here to explain all of that is Mark Schatzker, writer-in-residence at the Modern Diet and Physiology Research Center affiliated with Yale University, the author of The End of Craving, The Dorito Effect, and Steak. And he's with us right now. Hi, Mark. Hello. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about this and let's fast forward a little bit away from Bert Lahr and towards the invention of the Dorito, because I think that this is a pretty good example. And, and so tell the story of this. There's a guy named Arch West who's not a food scientist. He's more like a madman account executive kind of. He's like the guy who would go hire Don Draper. Right. And, and he decides they need a new snack
1: yeah exactly he he was working on madison avenue i think he worked in you know Jell-O pudding campbell soups and he gets hired to be the vp of sales and marketing for the frito company which then merged with frito-lay to become the company we all know and he took a trip to southern california with his family in the early 1960s and he was passing what his daughter described to me as a little mexican shack by the side of the road and he just had to stop and there he tried for the first time a tortilla chip. And he is seized with a vision that this is going to be the next big thing for Frito Lay. So he brings it back, he presents it to the company Bigwigs, and they shut him down. They say, well, why would we need this? We have fritos, which are kind of like tortilla chips. But Arch West is so convinced that he actually funnels discretionary funds to an <laughs> off-site facility and develops his baby, this, this brainchild of his. He he pitches it again, and this time he's got a name for it, which sort of means little pieces of gold in a pigeon sort of non-Spanish. They're called Doritos. And I know what you're thinking. This is the moment the world changed. And this is the moment not quite didn't change because the first ever Doritos were just like those tortilla chips on the side of the road, just salted tortilla chips, the kind that we dip in, you know, in dip something that needs something to be put on it to be tasty. And they bombed. The complaint was the snack sounds Mexican. It doesn't taste Mexican. So Arch West has to face his his corporate peers. This snack that he wasn't supposed to develop is now not doing well. They say, What are you going to do about Doritos? and he says let's make him taste like taco and this elicits laughter one of them says our yankee friend from the north doesn't know the difference between a thing and a flavor and it was a great comment because up until that time different things had different flavors if you wanted to eat a hot dog and taste a hot dog well you had to get a hot mm-hmm. dog if you wanted to taste grape you know authentic real grape you had to get an actual grape but Archwest knew that things were changing thanks to the invention of a device called the gas chromatograph We now had the ability to make whatever food we wanted to taste like whatever we wanted. And so Frito-Lay imbued taco-ness onto Doritos, and this changed everything. And I want you to think about how important this is, because this is a chip that people didn't really want to eat. They said it tasted boring. They didn't add more carbs, more fat, more salt— they added a dusting of chemical flavor and that turned a chip nobody wanted into a chip people could not get enough of
2: right and so i want to go back to something you said before because i think it's it's important and we're the show today is about snacks uh, and it applies to snacks as well as to all other kinds of food which is there's almost a moment, a stick pin moment there. You know, there's almost an Edenic fall when suddenly if you want chicken flavor, you don't need a chicken to be involved. If you want something to taste like strawberry, you don't need something red with leaves on it to be involved. And, and it almost feels in your writing uh, and, and I think in our experience like we really kind of went off the highway on the wrong exit ramp at that point.
1: Absolutely. I think this was like a tectonic change in our food system, which we didn't even notice. We don't even really question it. We are so obsessed with nutrients. We look at the calories and the sugar and flavor is just like some frivolous thing. (laughs)
2: And so it also creates a dynamic where we start to – I mean craving begins to be engineered into the food. It turns out Bert Lahr is absolutely right. You can't eat just one because the company doesn't want you to eat just one. And it actually changes our relationship with food to a certain degree. I know that people who are struggling with obesity, they often don't report enjoying food so much as – I don't know, Mark. It's more like they're scratching an itch as opposed to having a truly fulfilling eating experience.
1: That is precisely correct. And this goes against the stigma. You know, people often say people with obesity, they they just don't know moderation. They indulge themselves too much. They wallow in pleasure when other people have the good sense to say enough is enough. And this couldn't be more wrong. What the neuroscience tells us is that if you if you look at an obese brain versus a trim brain, the difference is not let's take a milkshake. Everyone thinks, oh, when they take a sip of that milkshake, their brain lights up like a Christmas tree and they just want more and more milkshake. That's not where we see the difference. If anything, the obese brain has a blunted pleasure response. Where we see the difference is when they see the image of the milkshake. The the person with obesity is overcome by desire. They have a spike in dopamine wanting. They really, really, really want that milkshake. Much, much more than than the trim brain, so to speak. So what we see with obesity is it's it's characterized by craving, by a desire for food. That is never truly met. I mean, it's a miserable condition that way. It's not about enjoying too much. It's about craving too much.
2: I wonder to what degree a lot of this is. I know a lot of it starts in America. I don't know how much of it's rooted in America. I know you, like me, you've been to Japan. In Japan, snacks are like a really different thing for the most part. If you're at a baseball game, you can get like really good food that's recognizably actual food. (laughs) You you can get yaki things and you can get noodles anywhere in Japan. You can get noodles if you're on an ambulance ride, they'll give you noodles. But, uh, you know, there's a... I had a
1: rice ball on a train. I I had raw fish on a train. I mean, who would would eat in a train in North America, period? But raw fish is like suicide. And it was absolutely delicious.
2: (laughs) So there's this sense that maybe there are cultures still, including very well industrialized and modernist cultures, where that idea, we're just going to give you chemicals to make you think you like this thing, isn't maybe so much as enforced as it is here?
1: I, I would say we have a different view on, on food. If you look at Japan and Italy, they're very interesting cultures and in that they place a very high regard on the origin of food. The Japanese have brands, that way they have Kobe beef and Matsuzaka beef. The Italians have DOP, you know, that the, the origin is protected. You can only call San Marzano tomatoes if they come from San Marzano and it's a particular variety um, we seem to be of the mind that so long as it tastes good, you know, what's the difference? And I don't think we're we're not nearly as finicky and we don't take nearly uh, the same kind of pride in the origin of food.
2: Right. Uh, since watching The Bear, too, I'm actually wa- buying San Marzano tomatoes, even though they're more expensive because what, it was great product placement. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about – first of all, I'm interested in, – obviously, you're somebody very conscious uh, of – food and what's in food and why we want food i mean this is that sort of your jam so how do you approach snacking i mean do you have any guilty pleasures in the world of snacking
1: yes i mean potato chips are a great example um i find often when you start to eat them you can't stop like you go to a party and you're like well i'm just gonna have one or something and then you you know you're going back to it and you get that like zest all over your hand and you're like okay i'm done (laughs) And you go and wash your hands and you dry your hands and then no, you go back again. You're like, I got this orange zest on my hand again. And what I find interesting is that I think we have a, a very inexact language when it comes to pleasure, because we would say, well, that potato chip's delicious. But i would say it's that word can mean more than one thing it's it's not delicious the same way a piece of dark chocolate is or a glass of red wine some foods we eat quickly we have this kind of aggressive you're stuffing your face you can't eat quick you know quickly enough and some foods slow things down they're more meditative they're more immersive these engage different brain circuits and i think different cultures are more in touch with that you know bet you can't eat just one Like, think about it. Do you ever talk about the best potato chip you ever had? Like, I was on my honeymoon and we cracked open this bag of chips on a hike, and like, no, we don't. But yet, when we start to eat them, we get caught in that reinforcing circle of just one after another after another. And I don't think these foods truly pleasure us. I think they kind of pull us into a trap.
2: Right. Once again, it's it's an itch that you're scratching, and once you do that, you can't stop scratching it because you'll feel the itch again. Uh, and, And it does feel as though. All of this is designed to not have an off switch. Uh, it's, it's the most beautiful piece of commercial food engineering that you would you don't want to stop eating something. Like if you eat a steak, you're done with the steak. It's not like you want another steak, uh, at least unless you have like a gigantic steak problem. And, and so clearly I, I think snacks are in that area, right? There's no particular reason as far as the companies are concerned why we should ever stop snacking.
1: Yeah. And I think that the snacks we're talking about are, I mean, these are totally confected food items. They sort of vaguely resemble stuff in nature. Like like the interesting thing about soft drinks is that they taste like things in, in in the forest or in the jungle. They have fruit flavors, but they have none of the stuff that actually makes them good. If you look at potato chips, for example, they taste like things that they are not. I think there's better things you can snack on like peanuts and so forth, but that's not really how the culture's geared. We're always reaching for those things that, that, that kind of get us into that trap again.
2: Yeah, there's a distinction that you make of wanting versus liking. Uh, do I have that right in the end of craving? Yes. Talk about that. And
1: it's not my distinction. This is a neuroscientist named Kent Barrage who discovered these two distinct and very interesting neural networks, both kind of under the umbrella of pleasure. But one of them, this is the dopamine network, is all about motivation. It's about wanting. It's and It's important. I mean, in nature, you need to go and get the things you need But then we have this other capacity that not all animals have where we can experience pleasure. This is the, these are, you know, opioid, um, the the opioid circuits, which it's a very different feeling. It's immersive. It's um, it's the kind of feeling that you truly remember these are the moments, the food moments that you think back to that, that incredible mushroom or that great steak or that great glass of wine, uh, very different food experiences.
2: You know, as you're talking to, I'm thinking about uh, a scene in the West Wing where the character Leo is an alcoholic, a reformed alcoholic, uh, is, I think, outed by an intern as a former alcoholic. And she says to him that the reason she did it, she's worried because he's the chief of staff to the president. She goes, what if you what if you take a drink? And he says, I don't want to drink. I want 10 drinks. Um, and, and there's sort of a way in which that describes our relationship to snacks as well. You know, I don't want one potato chip. I want 10. I want a whole bag. I want a big bag. So, you know, with that in mind, are there things that people can do to sort of circuit break here to, to kind of disrupt? I mean, uh, you, we can obviously abstain from potato chips and that might be a pretty good idea. But let's say we don't want to. What can we do to, to break the circuit?
1: Well, I would say, um, I think flavoring is an interesting thing. you know, the reason we have this flavor sensing equipment, the the nose and mouth, extremely sensitive chemical sensing apparatus, it's how the brain finds nutrition in nature. And we're really short circuiting things when we start to use flavors and things like sweeteners out of context, out of their nutritional context. So I would say a good rule of thumb is to just eat things that taste like what they are. That sounds really weird, but Mm -hmm. it's actually not that easy to do. So when it comes to something like potato chips, Um, you know, I've got a family we buy, we don't eat them all the time, but if you're going to get a bag of potato chips, just get plain potato chips. And, um, you know, that, that'll give you that, that you want the crunch, you get the salt, but it doesn't pull you into that trap in quite the same way. If you follow that logic, you start to consume, you know, you're not drinking as many soft drinks and over time you find like it's been a few months, you have a sip of Pepsi or Coke and you're like, Oh my God, that tastes, it's like sweetened, you know, bubbly syrup. So over time, I think you can train your palate away from this stuff, but it's very challenging because as our body gets, gets used to these things and gets used to a certain caloric intake, it gets really hard to start to change that. So the most important thing we can do, I think is as a culture is get away from this stuff and not subject our children to it, raise them in an environment where they, it's not so that they develop healthy eating habits so much as they want to eat the right food.
2: So uh, it also seems as though, tell me if I'm wrong about this, it sometimes feels as though the food companies are experimenting us. I mean, they do a lot of experimenting, I'm sure, sort of to get to the point of bringing something to market. But I also feel like that sometimes they'll do these kind of limited time flavors of things. I mean, Mountain Dew right now is limited time dark berry Mountain Dew. And, and you know, when you talk about the potato chips and abstain from the ones that are flavored, it seems like they're constantly coming up with, you know, a gin, marshmallow, jalapeno flavored potato chip or just some flavor of a potato chip that just not only doesn't exist in nature, but I wouldn't have imagined it. If I spend all day thinking of it, are they trying to see if they can find another flavor to get us to want?
1: Absolutely, they are. Uh, and and you know the best test is the consumer marketplace. But I've talked to sensory scientists who said they were approached in the 80s, the 90s by food scientists at these big companies, and they have a term for it. They call it Moorish. They they said, "What is the secret to designing <laughs> snacks that make people want to eat more?" And this is important again because this gets to this. This neural network, you know, people talk about a bliss point. I don't think these foods are about bliss. I think these foods are about making you want to stuff your face. And they know what they're doing. They, they, you know, these are the foods people buy that, you know, the, the money starts coming and it's a revenue stream. And of course, they are incentivized to, you know, to get as much of it as they can. So, yeah, they test on us. They I went into the store the other day and there's all these new flavors. And they say, you know, vote for your favorite flavor <laughs> by buying it.
2: Right. I long for the days when Moorish referred to Othello. Mark Schatzker is the author of many books, including The End of Craving, The Dorito Effect, and Steak. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us.
1: It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
2: And we're back. Uh, time to say some thank yous. Got a lot of people in the studio today. This is very unusual. Kat Pastor, as usual, is our technical producer. I should say the air conditioning doesn't really work in this building right now. I think that's a fair statement, right? Yeah. So it's part of a Navy experiment to see under what circumstances human beings can be persuaded to drink their own urine. And we just happen to be part of this. But Kat is just so happy in there because she's always cold. Um, all right. So she's our technical technical producer. This particular episode was produced by Jennifer LaRue. She's in the studio today along with senior producer Lily Tyson. Uh, and we we have one more segment to go. And so we got together with two of our friends virtually Uh, Julia Pastel, who also produces for us and does many other things, freelance writer, co-founder of CT Improv in Hartford. I think she just became a docent, so I don't know. I can't keep up with it all. It's just too much. Uh, And Chris Prosperi uh, is is chef and owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut. Uh, And has participated in many ill-conceived tasting uh, enterprises with us, including... Oh, well, things that I don't even want to think about anymore. Uh, but yes, Soylent. We, <laughs> we did consume <laughs> Soylent together and that was weird. All right. so So Chris, I don't think it's talking out of school to say that you and I were at Betty Ford together because of our potato chip problem. You and I have both had pretty significant potato chip problems in the past. But you might be muted, I, and I think that's also considered to be one of the side effects of having a potato chip disorder: is that you f- forget to unmute your Zoom. Uh, are you there now? Oh, his headphones are doing something bad to him. All right. So, well, let's then let's switch over. So, Julia, I think yes. I'm not. I think I'm not talking out of uh, school when I say. <laughs> You're pregnant right now, which I assume means that you, A, have permission to eat all the weird and disgusting stuff that we have sitting here and possibly sure. possibly even crave it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm like, why am I on this show? This is great. I am a lifelong snack <laughs> lover. I don't need to be pregnant to have permission to eat whatever I want. Um, but yeah, I, you know, this is my second pregnancy and my other one, I ate a ton of Savory foods and salty foods. And this one's definitely a sugar baby. So, uh, yeah, I'm ready to eat anything and everything.
2: All right. So we should say that what we have here, I mean, we we mentioned this earlier. I think I hear Chris now. Uh, We have here the aforementioned Fusion. Does it even have a real name? It's just Rich Ritz Oreo in one? Does it... Doesn't really seem to have a sort of chimera name that sort of indicates what it is. Uh, we have that, uh, which cost us forty dollars on eBay for just a very few of them. Uh, we do have the uh, potato chips with shamrock infusion in them or sh- <laughs> shamrock extract. See. Chris, I feel like that one, now it's you're here, I can, I can hear you, yes. <laughs> I mean, you did have kind of a potato chip problem, and I have like a lifelong potato chip. I mean, remember? Yeah. I remember when you had to stop eating potato chips, mm-hmm. that's what I'm really yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah,
4: I, and I was telling uh, Jennifer, I keep mine in the freezer, and that is, it. it, it really helps you eat even more, <laughs> which is the worst <laughs> thing you can do.
2: Yes, absolutely. All right. I feel like we should we we have to explore strange new worlds. And so I think we have to do I'm going to I have not eaten one of these Ritz cracker Oreo fusion things that were so expensive. So I'm going yeah, to use.
0: mine was delivered by Jennifer in a Ziploc bag in the most <laughs> sketchy possible way. So right. I'm very excited. Yeah.
2: All right. The so it's uh,
4: kind of broken up a little. Yeah. I'm well, like, the,
0: this is kind of I don't know.
2: Well, the rich cracker integrity is not good. Right. There's like they were really, really not made to do this job. They're being sent into space despite the fact that they were working in the steno pool a day or a day ago. You know, they don't really know how to do this. So, all right, I'm going to bite into one. I'm sorry, right, we go. people who have misophonia where you can't stand <laughs> to listen to people do this. I'm really sorry. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: I'll start. I, I'm okay with that.
2: Yeah, I, I am too. I mean, I don't know how okay I am because my whole goal is to not like any of this stuff because I'm on, a, I'm trying to lose weight right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, so Julia, you know, you were talking yeah. about sweet versus salty. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the goal here is to deliver both sensations in some kind of intriguing balance. And I guess yeah. the question is, did they hit that mark?
0: Yeah, I think it tastes good. Um, but I would question the need. Okay, so I'm inherently irritated by products that, um take away our human creativity and mixing snacks the way we want like i could make this at home right it's like when you see a jar of the peanut butter and jelly and they're both in the jar oh yeah you know that is just that gets me right so this is the same thing it's i feel like now i'm being told i have to eat these things together Whereas I want to put
2: anything I want on an Oreo. Yeah, I hate it when the state police come in and they say you have to eat this right now. Uh, Immediately you have no option. So, yeah, and Chris, I do feel like at the level of aftertaste, the Oreo is defeating the Ritz Cracker, right? The Ritz Cracker can't stand up to the Oreo.
4: It leaves you with the cracker at the end, but I think that's what salt does. Salt is always because, and then it makes you want to, if you design it like that, it makes you want more because I'm sitting here going, yeah, that was okay. I don't know if I'd have more. And then as my mouth is getting all that salt now residue i'm thinking oh i could do that again <laughs>
2: <laughs> so and that's how it works the other thing that you know julia to your point uh, about the things that sort of you know are already made instead of letting you make them the other thing that strikes me as weird as is there's an actual product that you can buy in a bag in a grocery store i don't know if you can buy it here i think well maybe walmart has them called indiana movie theater popcorn it's oh. it's you know and i feel like you know, movie theater popcorn is like the lowest form of popcorn. It's the popcorn that you have to eat because you have no choice.
0: How dare you? How <laughs> do- I knew this
2: was
4: coming.
0: I, I have gone. To, here's my confession. I have gone to a movie theater, walked in, just gotten popcorn and left. I have done that.
2: Oh, my Lord.
4: (laughs) I have a friend that goes in and asks them if they can have whatever they put on the popcorn to take home for their, you know, regular microwave popcorn.
2: (laughs) I mean, I I do know that one of the chemicals, I read this somewhere, crosses the blood-brain barrier. And I don't know what that means, but I just I feel like eating popcorn that crosses the blood-brain barrier is just asking for trouble. Um, All right. So has anybody already tried the Shamrock uh, potato chips? No,
4: I'm going
2: to do it right now. They're, no, I, I've already. Okay, you guys try them. I, I already. I had a moment with them during the B segment. Mm. So while you're crunching, let me just say yeah. that this is called kios. Uh, Irish potato chips. They're actually made in Ireland. It says on the package, contains real shamrock, because who doesn't want that? I mean, actually, anytime I'm out on a hike and I see some, uh, I just fill my face with them. One of my favorite things, too, is that there's a thing called SpudNav on the back. It's a QR code that somehow or other allows you to track... You can trace this back to the potato field it came from. That's the most Irish thing ever, you know. It's like I really need to know whether this came from Kavanaugh's (laughs) Uh, potato potato. field yeah, or or, or McTavish's uh, uh, potato field. So, so Chris, I think you should go first because you are the potato chip connoisseur. I
4: I first want to say I've never had a potato chip I didn't like. Right, exactly. And and this is going in there. I don't know if I taste the grass. I'm sorry, shamrock. Um, but i i would eat, i would put uh, i'm going to put these in the freezer right next to my <laughs> deep river potato chips and my frito and my lays potato chips and it'll it'll have a place in the freezer for now
2: right i should yeah. there's are a little green flecks in it although those i believe are parsley they're not they're not shamrock the shamrock is in the form of an extract so there you go so julia how about you how, how's that working for you
0: i wish they tasted more weird Uh, you know like they taste pretty close to sour cream and onion chips Mm -hmm. um and i wish they tasted like you know when you're a kid and uh, this is gonna be weird you're like pretending to be a cowboy or like a farm girl and you put a piece of grass in your mouth and you like really taste that grass Mm -hmm. i was expecting a little more of that you know like that's my main grass tasting experience but um this is too normal. Yeah. I
2: want it weirder. No, I, I for a while I was dating a horse, and we would go out, and we would you know. So I, <laughs> I and that's not even a childhood yeah. thing. So by the way, while we've been doing this, if we needed to wash things down, uh, Jennifer Larue has given us Coca-Cola Starlight. I don't know whether this is tied to the Webb Space Telescope or something. It's a limited edition of Coca-Cola. It is reddish in hue, and I don't know. It's pretty disgusting, I think. <laughs> But
4: I am not going to taste this one. I'm going to put this one in the basement. Yeah. And in, you know, I'm going to hide it like in the foundation and in in a few hundred years, someone is going to tear down the house and find it.
0: Oh, I thought you
4: were gonna sell it on eBay. No, no. I think I'm just gonna leave it there and you know, a hundred years or two hundred years, there'll no civilization in the twenty twenties by Starlight Coke.
2: So you're gonna let some sentient robot come and drink your Coke is basically what you're saying. Because yeah, there are yeah, not gonna be people any there won't be people left at all. There won't be none of them. All right, so we're we're short on time here. Um, and I don't know if you guys had specific preferences. We do have continuing the potato chips potato Reese's potato chip mm-hmm. cup. Big cup, which is like a big uh, Reese's peanut butter cup, except there's potato chip filling. Mine have melted into slag because we have no air conditioning here yeah. in the building. But
0: um. uh, I can see Chris giving a thumbs up. Um, I am so glad I agree with a renowned chef. I think sometimes <laughs> corporations are evil and sometimes corporations are fantastic. And this is really good. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> this is a really have- good opposite of the Coke experience. Yeah. This is. I will buy this
2: because you were upset with, when Reese's pours putting little kittens in their peanut butter cups. That they weren't a good company. That that's <laughs> I, a that's a I joke. Do that didn't ever. I, happen. I,
0: I will eat a
4: Reese's peanut butter cup and crumble potato chips on top. So I'm already there with Oh, you've
2: this. actually so you it, you're back to Julia's earlier point. You've already done this.
4: I've already done. I put last night I had a pe- leftover pizza. I put it in the microwave, heated it up, and then I sl- walked over to the freezer, crumbled some potato chips and put it on top of my pizza.
2: I just want to say oh th- this man runs one of the great resta- one of the greatest restaurants in Connecticut. He's an acclaimed chef in every possible <laughs> way. <laughs> It's like there's yes, two Chris Prosperis. <laughs> <chips on> <laughs> <laughs> this is Chris Prosperis' evil twin, who does all kinds of things the other Chris Prosperis would never ever do.
1: Um,
2: all right, we have one. We probably have time for one more uh, snack, and we only have two minutes left for the show. But I think um, Julia, you were somewhat partial to the red hot spicy almonds brought to us by yeah, the people. Yeah, I thought Frank. these
0: were good too. I mean, I like hot things, and I like that hot things are a popular flavor now. Yes. Um, they were delicious. But I know Chris loves Cracker Jacks.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. Chris, you should say a few words about Cracker Jacks. Childhood,
4: going to Met games in New York, right? <laughs> yeah. And you would get your box of Cracker Jacks. And it's funny because of marketing in your other segments. This is the reason I used to get Cracker Jacks, was for the prize because. You know, years ago, the prize was really cool. I opened my prize and this one got a little picture. And then I actually found myself while I was listening to the beginning of the show, going to the website and playing the game with my little prize. It was very fun. (laughs) And I ate all my Cracker Jacks. (laughs)
2: Yeah, actually, I was at Betty Ford with Mr. Met uh, and he he apparently he didn't eat the Cracker Jacks the way you're supposed to. Um, I can't really. let me just say he liked the crack better than the jacks. I guess that's a better way to put it. So. um, So I don't know, Julia, say one or two words about um, the red hot spicy almonds. Unless you've said everything you have to say and then we all have to say goodbye.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I like a snack that almost hurts you. I like a snack that makes you cry. (laughs) I want to be brought to the brink of human emotion by my snack in one way or another, and pain like snacks are a good way to experience pain so it's
2: uh, it's like so it's okay 50 50 shades of snacks we get it all right yeah, exactly we exactly have to right. stop now that's a great place for us to stop though with 50 shades of snacks have a snack that brings you to the edge of pain and think of us when that happens when you're at your climax so to speak all right we have to go thanks to everyone who helped out today
3: That's nice, munch, munch,
4: munch, bunch of fritos, corn chips, munch.